Welcome to the Five Questions podcast from Astronomy Magazine. I'm Dave Eicher, Editor-in-Chief of Astronomy. Every few weeks, I'll share the thoughts and research of the world's greatest astronomers, astrophysicists, cosmologists, and planetary scientists with you in these unpredictable moments of Q&A. Five Questions for Michael West is brought to you by Celestron. From your first telescope to precision observatory-grade instruments, Celestron has the perfect telescope to suit your experience level and budget. Find out more at Celestron.com. I'm delighted to have as a guest a distinguished astronomer, Michael West. Michael is Deputy Director for Science at Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, one of the most historic observatories in the world. In this role, he is responsible for many tasks related to the observatory's scientific and outreach missions. Before coming to Lowell, he was director of the Mariah Mitchell Observatory, head of science in Chile for the European Southern Observatory, head of science operations at the Gemini South Telescope, and a tenured professor at the University of Hawaii. Michael's research interests include star clusters, galaxy formation and evolution, clusters of galaxies, and the large-scale structure of the universe. He has been principal investigator for six Hubble Space Telescope projects and has been awarded time on major telescopes around the world. Michael is also very active in astronomy education and outreach. He served as chief astronomy advisor for the Imaloa Astronomy Center in Hawaii. His writing has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, USA Today, and even Astronomy Magazine, to name a few. He's written two books, most recently, A Sky Wonderful with Stars, 50 Years of Modern Astronomy on Mauna Kea. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks very much, David. It's my pleasure to be here. Let me go back a ways, if I may, Michael, with my first question. What drew you into astronomy originally long ago? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I have to say, in all honesty, it was Carl Sagan. Mm. Uh, when I was in high school, I read a book that he'd written called The Cosmic Connection, one of his first, mm-hmm. and it just blew me away. It was the most interesting thing I'd ever read up to that point. Um, the Cosmic Connection, for people who've not read it, I, I highly recommend it. It's about uh, the possibility of life elsewhere in the universe. And, it, you know, as anybody who knows Sagan's work, it was just so well written. It just drew me in. And so it kind of lit uh, the astronomy fire uh, under me. And I then discovered that in my high school library, we had uh, back collections of uh, Astronomy Magazine, actually. Mm. And I used to sneak into the back at lunchtime, back in the library, <laughs> and read them. And it was like I'd found a treasure trove. It was just, uh, it just opened my eyes to things that I just had never even imagined before. So that was really good, what got me hooked on astronomy. And so I think like many people, I thought, well, I'll be an amateur astronomer someday. I'll have a telescope. And I bought a telescope and, and all of that. I'd set it up in my yard and look outside. And then I realized slowly that you could do this for a living and people would pay you. And I thought, <laughs> that sounds pretty good. So that's what I did. I, I went on to get my PhD in astronomy and, and it's, I've never looked back. I've been a professional astronomer for three decades now. I could get old, I guess. Uh, but uh, it, it, I'm, it's the best job on the planet. It really is. Well, that's fantastic. And talk a little bit before we move on, if you will, Michael, about 
your schooling and where you went and, and what was it like sort of at that time getting into astronomy coursework? Sure. Um, so like most uh, professional astronomers uh, at university, I studied, I majored in physics yeah. and I minored in math. Uh, I went to school, I grew up in Connecticut. Then I did my PhD at Yale University. Uh, and after that, it took, that took five years. And then after that, I did uh, research, had research positions, postdoctoral research positions uh, in Canada and the Netherlands. And then, uh, you know, it's one of the beauties of astronomy is you, you get to see the world. Uh, so I, I've lived in, I've taught or lived in, in various continents. I lived in Chile for seven years. I lived in Hawaii for seven years. I taught astronomy in, in Western Africa for a summer. Mm. And that's one of the really amazing things about astronomy is just how international it is. But so, yeah, like most uh, professional astronomers, I got my, my PhD and then did several years of uh, postgraduate research work as well before landing a job as a professor. Well, that's fantastic. And you've had such an interesting and varied career that, that has taken you to many of those exotic places. And you've been in important roles um, in those places, too. So you've had quite a, a storybook uh, progression there. And of course, what a wonderful place uh, to be at Lowell now. That's right. Yeah, Lowell's wonderful. The history and the ongoing research here still. Uh, we've got the Discovery Channel telescope, a four-meter telescope, which is great for for our research. And I always say, I'm, I'm amazed they get a paycheck to do this. It's just great. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, one of your principal interests in terms of your own research uh, is galaxies, and and I love that. I'm a galaxy guy. Um, what drew you into studying the largest systems in the cosmos? Um, good question. I think it's, as you said, they're the largest systems in the cosmos. And to me, that's just fascinating. I think, uh, you know, I've always been intrigued ever since I got interested in astronomy. Uh, stars are fascinating. Plants are fascinating. But galaxies, wow. Uh, the, the universe on the largest scales. Uh, I, I find that really fascinating. I, I often think of astronomy as um, trying to figure out where, where we are, right? Where, where are we exactly? And I think studying galaxies and the distribution of galaxies in space is a way of kind of mapping, you know, the universe that we live in. And so I think that's what kind of drew me into it. Also, I mean, to be honest, uh, galaxies are just beautiful, right? I mean, my two mm. favorite objects to either photograph or to look at through a telescope are galaxies and also globular clusters just because they look so spectacular. Uh, they're just, I mean, just aesthetically, they're really beautiful. Uh, so I guess I've always been really intrigued by the, the large-scale uh, universe. Uh, I have an article coming out in Astronomy Magazine in a few months, as you know, on basically on the cosmic web and about the large-scale uh, distribution of galaxies and filaments and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think just trying to understand where this comes from and and uh, and how you know where we're located in in the universe to me is just a fascinating question. And of course, among many many other things, gives us quite a dose of cosmic perspective uh, on the distant scale because. Not only is our galaxy uh, staggeringly huge, but when we get out into uh, groups and clusters and superclusters and filaments and voids, it, it's a staggeringly large universe. So it gives us uh, a sense of how, in one sense, uh, tiny we are, uh, but then it's pretty amazing that we can be made of star stuff and be talking about the universe uh, back and forth, too, isn't it? So it's pretty special to be on Earth. Absolutely. And the fact that all this amazing 
texture that we see in the universe on the largest scales, the galaxies, the filaments, and all of that came from these minuscule uh, fluctuations in the early universe, these little lumps that were present in the distribution of atoms that grew under gravity's influence. To me, it's just fascinating how mm. you can go from the really tiny to the really immense today is, is just incredible. Mm, absolutely amazing. And we've talked before um, from time to time, Michael, about how we're really living in a special time here for astronomy. Professional astronomy is booming, and the recent discoveries that have been made are, are incredible. Um, we're really at, at a, a, in a special era here learning about galaxies as well, aren't we? Um, there's a, a quite a, an amazing amount of research going on. What hot topics are kicking around in your mind in terms of understanding galaxies? If you would, give us a little bit of a state of the union of where we are with galaxy research. Sure. Uh, I think if you ask 10 different astronomers about this, you get 20 different opinions <laughs> on what's the hot topics in, in galaxy research these days. But from my perspective, there, there's so much going on. I mean, it's sort of a deluge of, of interesting new studies every day. It's almost difficult to keep up with everything. Um, but, for example, things like computer simulations. I mean, when I actually started out and I did my Ph.D., I was actually uh, pretending to be a theoretical uh, astrophysicist or a numericist doing computer simulations about how galaxies are born and how galaxy clusters grow over time. And today, the simulations are just so much more sophisticated and so much more advanced than anything that we could do back then. Uh, it's just incredible. So, for example, just in the, in the recent past, there's been simulations like the the um, illustrious simulations, which are just enormous. They they simulate enormous volumes of space, and they put in ever more detailed and complex physics, so they can include all sorts of physical processes like the birth of stars, energy input from supernova explosions, uh, you know, magnetic fields, different types of dark matter. There's so much that can be done these days with simulations and then compared to observation. So it really guides, you know, they, they go hand in hand, right? The, the theory helps us interpret and understand the observations. The observations provide the raw material that the theorists need to be able to explain with their simulations or their theories. So I think that's been a really powerful um, uh, advance in our understanding of galaxies, being able to simulate these things in ever more realistic detail. There's simulations of the Milky Way galaxy these days, or galaxies that resemble the Milky Way that are just incredible looking. Um, I think other things that uh, we're learning about at present are the early universe. As, as you know, Dave, uh, the further you look into space, the further you look back in time. And so by trying to see galaxies and galaxy clusters at the earliest epochs, uh, allows us to sort of witness the the, the birth and the evolution of structure uh, over billions of years. And so I think that's really fascinating. There's a lot of work that's being done right now, for example, to find the most distant galaxies that we can, and also the most distant galaxy clusters. There's a lot of work being done right now with um, things like the South Pole Telescope, for example, that are trying to find galaxy clusters in the early universe. You know, the when did the first galaxy clusters begin? When did galaxies first really start to cluster together into little villages and then bigger cities? Uh, that's the kind of thing that we're able to really probe now observationally. The other side of that, I think also, is we're filling in a lot of the details about the nearby universe. It's one thing to look at the most distant galaxies and galaxy clusters that we can, uh, but also to 
still discover new things in our own uh, neighborhood. For example, that there seem to be all these little faint, fluffy, diffuse dwarf galaxies, for example, all over the place that people didn't know about before. And that, you know, the Milky Way is probably much bigger than average, obviously. And so that's an interesting bit of information to have, that there's still things to be learned, even in our own backyard, uh, about galaxies. So I find that quite interesting. Um, then, of course, there's the the big questions at the moment are things like, what's the dark matter made from? What's this dark energy thing everybody's talking about? And related to a lot of this, of course, is the ongoing surveys uh, like the dark energy survey, for example, that are trying to use things like gravitational lensing, the, the bending of light rays by massive objects, to learn about the dark matter, to learn about the dark energy content of the universe. Uh, there was a press release last week or the week before, uh, astronomers had measured the motions of galaxies uh, surrounding the um, Centaurus A galaxy, and the claim was that the motions were inconsistent with uh, cold dark matter, the idea that the universe, the dark matter content, is dominated by this particular type of dark matter we call cold dark matter. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's really interesting. It makes us think. It makes us learn something new. And of course, then I think the other really exciting thing in galaxy research is the new telescopes that are opening our eyes to uh, things that we've never seen before, things like ALMA, for example, that can peer into the hearts of galaxies or peer into the uh, distant past to see galaxies in their youth, or JWST, of course, which is scheduled to launch next year, and that's going to be revolutionary. Things like WFIRST, which hopefully that will be approved by Congress in the end, mm -hmm. uh, all of these will give us new windows on the, the birth and the evolution of galaxies. So as you said, it's a really exciting time to be doing astronomy. It's sort of cliche where we say, well, it's the golden age of astronomy, but it really is. There's so much that we're learning every day with new information, new telescopes, new simulations. So it's, it's a really exciting time to be doing galaxy research. Mm, it's a very nice problem to have, as they say. This. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember the days when astronomy seemed, the galaxy research seemed data-starved, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, and now it's just like, oh, it's a deluge of data, but it's a wonderful situation to be in. Absolutely. And you're also interested in other areas of research. As I mentioned, you've been around the world, uh, involved with some great institutions in some magical places. Can you talk a little bit about your other research interests and do you have some favorite stories um, from your travels and your time in many observatories around the world? Sure. Um, I have a lot of different research projects going on at the moment. Uh, many of them are related to galaxies. Some are related to globular clusters uh, as well as some of my other favorite objects. Mm -hmm. uh, at the moment, for example, I'm working with a student here in Flagstaff, David Kelly. He's a master's student at Northern Arizona University, and we're using the data from Gaia, the, the European satellite, to uh, try and map the total extent of the large Magellanic Cloud and the small Magellanic Cloud. Mm -hmm. How far do they spread into space, and can we map them? So we're trying to do that. I'm trying to finish a paper right now with the colleague Michael Gregg at the University of California in Davis, where we have actually found the G1, which is the largest globular cluster in the Andromeda Galaxy, yeah is not a globular cluster at all. It's a galaxy that's been slowly flayed over the years by uh, Andromeda. Is that uh, in right? Fact, yeah, we, <laughs> we see stars being plucked off of it. Uh, we use the Keck telescope to make observations of this. <laughs> and you can see stars. It's, it's slowly being 
being stripped of its star that's being flayed and that's one of my more general areas of interest is galaxy cannibalism yeah so we have pretty clear evidence that andromeda is a cannibal it's slowly flaying this galaxy and we have abundant evidence that our own milky way galaxy is a cannibal we see this in terms of galaxies that it's currently eating or we see the remaining uh, stellar streams which are more and more being discovered all the time and those are just the the surviving vestiges of galaxies that have been torn apart by the Milky Way's uh, insatiable appetite, shall we say. Um, So those are things that interest me a lot. I'm trying to do a project right now uh, using globular clusters to see if they also trace these sorts of streams and the halos of galaxies. So I'm doing a lot of work on that. And then I'm also interested in other things that maybe have a little bit less to do with traditional astronomy. One of the things I've tried to research for my own interest uh, is whether animals and which animals can see the stars, right? We know mm-hmm. that humans obviously look up into the sky and mm-hmm. we're intrigued by what we see, but I walk my dog every night, you know, <laughs> Flagstaff, a dark sky city, we can see the Milky Way, and I never see him look up, right? Uh-huh. And his, maybe has no interest, of course, but maybe he can't see the stars. Uh-huh. So um, I've gotten sort of intrigued by that over the years. The other thing that I'm trying to do a little bit of research on is whether whales might navigate by the stars, for example. This is mm-hmm. a topic that's interested me over the years. Uh, whales are known to migrate, humpback whales in particular, for thousands of miles uh, along incredibly straight lines. How is it they do that? Is mm-hmm. it magnetic fields? Is it stargazing? You know, that sort of thing. So those are the kind of things that it intrigue me. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, I've been really fortunate to... Uh, live around the world and to uh, use a lot of the world's great observatories, I often say it's like, um, you know, the first time you ever walk into a baseball stadium or a football stadium, there's just that feeling, that that mm. impression of something so massive and so almost overwhelming. And it's for me, it's the same way. Every time you walk in to see a, a big telescope for the first time, you know, the first time you you see the the Keck telescope up close, you almost have to hold on to something. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my God, you know, it's just amazing. And so I feel really fortunate to have been able to do that in Hawaii. I mean, I, I lived in Hawaii for seven years as a professor at the university there, and I got to go up to Mauna Kea all the time. And you know, it's just a magical place. Or I lived in Chile for seven years. I worked at Gemini, and then it. ESO, the European Southern Observatory, and every time you go to see those telescopes, or you go up to Paranal and you see the the VLT, and or you go up to Alma, uh, it's just incredible. Mm. So that I've really enjoyed. Um, I think the other thing that I just really enjoy in, in astronomy is the opportunity to, to meet other people and and to share what we learn in astronomy with other people. Mm-hmm. For me, one of the highlights. Uh, uh, over the years, honestly, it's been the, the summer I spent teaching uh, astronomy in, in Western Africa, uh, in the country of the Gambia, which is one of the 10 poorest countries in the world, according to the UN. Mm. And it, it's heartbreaking. I mean, people have you know unbelievably difficult lives there. And so this is many years ago now. I was actually teaching in Canada at a university, and there was no university in the Gambia at the time. So the Canadian university where I was teaching in Nova Scotia decided to open a, a satellite campus there, essentially. And so I got to go teach astronomy out there, and it was just one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. My students were uh, 90% Muslim, 10% Christian, and some of them, you know, malaria is an issue there. Some of them would come in 
with recurring bouts of malaria. But for them, this was an opportunity to get ahead. It was the first university mm-hmm. uh, in the Gambia. In fact, it's since evolved to become the University of the Gambia. Huh. But I always say I, I learned more from my students than they learned from me. It was just a, a fascinating, fascinating experience. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I count myself, I feel really fortunate to have been able to uh, travel and, and, and see use telescopes around the world. And uh, But it also makes it reminds me always that you know, we're really blessed in the sense that a lot of this is, is paid for by, by taxpayers, and we appreciate the, the public supporting this. And so I think it's our obligation as astronomers to share our discoveries and whatever insights we gain about the universe with, with other people. So that really motivates me a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a magical uh, experience to be uh, up close with those big telescopes. It really... Uh is electrifying uh, for, for everyone, of course, in our audience, being astronomy enthusiasts. Uh, and you've had you know, quite amazing experiences where you, you've been. It's really inspiring to hear you talk about them. Um, but I'm always amazed, too. They, they let somebody like me use these telescopes. I always say it's like getting on an airplane <laughs> and the pilot saying, here's the keys, kid. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, oh, tech telescope? Okay, if I can use it, sure, that'd be great. You know? <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Here's a more difficult question, Michael, um, that we're all pondering these days, of course, those of us who love science. In an age of increasing nonsense and speculation on the Internet, how can astronomy and science outreach and education, you've done so much of that, you're so good with that, how can those help a seemingly increasingly confused public? Uh, That's a hard question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes. I've thought about it a lot. I used to actually lead a working group for the International Astronomical Union on new ways of communicating astronomy with the public. Mm. And I think, I don't know, I have have really diverse views on this. Um, There's a part of me that thinks uh, just trust the process and have confidence that in the long run, um, you know, reason will prevail over unreason or whatever the word is. Mm-hmm. Um, I always remember there's a great quote from Cecilia Payne-Kaposchkin, one of the great mm. uh, astronomers of, of the last century. And she said, the truth will prevail in the end. Mm. Nonsense will fall of its own weight by sort of intellectual law of gravitation. And I love that quote because I think, mm. you know, it just says, you know, it's okay, you're on the right side. And in the end, people will get it, right? So mm-hmm. we're, we're sort of marching towards scientific literacy. We're marching towards a deeper understanding of what science means and, and as, as a way of thinking and approaching the world. So there's a part of me that just says we just need to be patient. There's also a part of me that says, and this is maybe a little bit provocative, <laughs> I think part of the blame lies with us as scientists sometimes. Mm. I think that we need to find a way to reach out to people better. We need to... Uh, I think we need to touch people's hearts as well as their minds, basically. You know, the question, as we've talked about before, is for many people, why should I care? Why is what you're saying relevant to my life? Why should I care about this? And I think the danger sometimes for us as scientists is if we're we're too preachy or, you know, too pedantic, too condescending, it can backfire, right? Mm. And so I think, I mean, you know, for example, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson is great at... uh, getting the word out about astronomy and, and making people think, and he, he does a wonderful job, but there's also been a little bit of a backlash recently by people who are finding him maybe a little bit too uh, pedantic or something. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why we need to 
it's a, it's a gentle approach, I think. I also think we need to reach people on their own terms. So, you know, I, I like to write, as, as you mentioned earlier, I love to write, but I, you know, it pains me when my 16 year old son would much rather look at YouTube or, you know, and, and, but there's a the part of me that says that's where we need to reach people. We need to reach out to people on their own terms. If people are watching YouTube, if everybody's on Instagram these days, whatever social media, and that's why you guys are, are really good at that at Astronomy Magazine, you need to reach people on their own turf, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to really try and do that. One of the things I remember, um, this guy MC Hawking, you probably know. Who I sure, think is, yes. he's hilarious. He was at Starmus last year, That's right? That's right. That's right. So I I read about, first heard about him years ago, and it was like this guy is great. He's doing this sort of pseudo, you know, <laughs> rap uh, music in the voice of Stephen Hawking. Yeah. But you know, it's an entertaining way of getting the message out. And if you listen to what he says, he's got songs about entropy. He's got songs about black holes and it's a way of educating people that people may not even realize it's, it's educational. Right. Yes. So I think it's, it behooves us as scientists to find creative ways to reach people on their own terms. Essentially. I think that's really important as well. Mm-hmm. But it is frustrating. I, I, I was saying earlier to you, I think uh, it seems, unfortunately, we do live in an age of anti-intellectualism sometime. And I think that's a big challenge that we need to face. But again, I think we just need to, to go gently. So, for, um, for example, I mean, I have really strong opinions about astrology, as you can imagine. Yes. But I, I try really hard not to berate people about it or to sort of, you know, bludgeon them. Because I, I just think it backfires in the long run. You need to sort of um, present things in a way that people have to see it for themselves, right? When I lived in Canada, I used to teach a a course about life in the universe at the university, and in Hawaii too. And I would never tell my students whether I believed that, you know, there was life elsewhere in the universe or if aliens had come to Earth. We'd really talk about UFOs. We'd talk about all that stuff. I would never, ever tell them my opinion. What I wanted was to present facts that would make their brains lock up. And I used to say to them, I don't care what you believe coming into this class. I hope you leave with a different view, no matter what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, again, you have to just sort of present people with the facts and and maybe guide them, but let them come to their own conclusions. And I think if we're just too preachy, it, it just kind of backfires in the long run. Mm-hmm. That's my personal view. Mm-hmm. Well, words of wisdom and... and uh... Uh, but you think there is hope in the long run for reason and for science? Yeah, of course. I mean, Good. you know, <laughs> I think the average person today knows a lot more about science and a lot more about astronomy than they did, you know, a century ago, for example. At least I like to think that that's true. Yes. Um, and I do think, you know, there, as you know, you know, better than me, there's this huge public fascination with astronomy. And I think that's that's the hope for the future, right? Uh I think uh, this curiosity about the the universe that we live in and the idea of how can we learn more, well, the scientific method, that's a way of trying to make sense of the world. And I think as long as people understand that, they'll they'll naturally um, come come to that way of thinking. That's my own view. Well, that's terrific. Michael, it's always a joy and a pleasure to talk to you, and it's a great... uh thing for me to to count you as a friend as well so so thanks, thanks so much. much Dave. likewise hope to see you out here in flagstaff sometime soon oh you bet you will yeah and and if not sooner certainly in june um but uh i i always look forward to talking to you uh love your expertise and enthusiasm all across the spectrum uh love talking galaxies with you so thank you so much for joining me today and it's been a pleasure and i will uh, look forward to talking to you again very soon 
Thanks very much, Dave. I appreciate it.